Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. Welcome to this special edition where we talk wines and the Giro d'Italia. We held an exceptional clubhouse room dedicated to Giro d'Italia, but it was not recorded. I know, I know, bummer. But anyways, we thought about sharing some notes about the stages of the Giro, written and read by Mark Millen, a food, wine, and travel writer, and the author of numerous books, as well as magazine articles published on both sides of the Atlantic. Stay tuned! While you drink, don't forget these tasting tips. The juggernaut that is the Giro d'Italia rolls relentlessly on as we approach some of the most exciting stages in the highest mountains. Here are my reports for stages 14, 15, and 16. Stage 14, Cittadella to Monte Zoncolan, 205 kilometers. Hope. It's what drives us all on. It's what makes us get up in the morning. Hope is what gets professional cyclists out of bed in the dead of winter to put in the hard kilometers to prepare themselves even just to be able to take part in a grand tour like the Giro d'Italia. It's what makes them keep riding every day over three weeks when every muscle, sinew and bone in their body must be aching and in utter agony. Yesterday's route from Ravenna to Verona, passing through Ferrara and Mantua in homage to Dante Alighieri, was a day for most riders just to recuperate and try to recover before the arduous days in the mountains. It could not have been flatter or straighter. It was a day when there was absolutely no hope for a breakaway, a small group of riders to try to get ahead and hold out to the finish. And yet, a trio led by the indefatigable Simon Pelot, who is proving to be this year's most combative rider, tried all the same. Even when the full might of the peloton was bearing down on them in the final five kilometers, when it was clearly hopeless to hang out any longer, they still made a final acceleration to try and prolong their moment in the sun for just a little longer. Why? What drove them on when there was absolutely no point whatsoever? Why did they expend precious energy and fatigue their already aching muscles when there was absolutely no benefit to be gained? It seems that hope becomes a habit, a state of mind, so they just drove themselves on, hopefully. Giacomo Nizzolo, the Italian and European champion, knows about hope as much as anyone. One of the most popular riders in the peloton, he's an immensely talented sprinter who so far has been unable to win a stage in his home Grand Tour, finishing second on countless disappointing occasions. What must have gone through his mind then at the very end of the stage when, having been delivered to the final two kilometers in perfect position by his hard-working Quebeca Asos team, he saw Eduardo Affini of Jumbo Visna accelerate at such an astonishing pace for a final dash to glory along the straight Corso Porta Nuova of Verona. 
It was an audacious move, and Athene was powerful enough to open up a sizable gap that looked almost hopeless to reel in. Did Nizolo at that moment think that he might have to settle for another second? No, he believed in himself because he had hope in his heart. Gradually, then more quickly, almost superhumanly, he pounded after his countrymen, got back onto his wheel, slipstream for just a moment, then powered past him, arms aloft, as he crossed the line in immense relief to take his first stage win in the Giro d'Italia. Today, we enter a new phase of this three-week grand tour. The start line might as well have a banner written above it. Lasciate ogni speranza voi chintrate. The phrase, carved over the portal when Dante's protagonist and his guide, the poet Virgil, begin their descent into hell. If their journey took them down into the deepest bowels of the earth to discover the terrifying circles of Inferno, our journey goes ever upwards. Five of the next eight stages will take the cyclist to some of the highest and most inhospitable mountaintop summits in all of Italy. Dante's words might as well be chalked on the high mountain roads along the famous names of cyclists past and present. Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. Mountains are for many of us what the Giro d'Italia is all about. Mountains will decide the victor. Mountains will crush the loser. In the mountains, a rider on a bad day can lose 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes or more on GC. This in a race whose outcome is often decided by mere seconds. There will be courageous and repeated attacks on the Malurosa. Riders will have to dig their deepest. Teams will have to be at their strongest in support. And many will lose the will to live, might abandon all hope. This is where we will get to know those riders who are great of heart, those riders who never lose hope, even when everything around them seems hopeless. So then, a fatiguingly long day with two major climbs, including one of the steepest and most shockingly fearsome of all, Monte Zoncolan, located in the Carnic Alps of Friuli Venezia Giulia. The climb is a leg-numbing 14 kilometers, and it is steep all the way up. I drove up the road to just below the summit of Monte Zoncolan two summers ago to seek out the Malga Pozov in search of mountain cheese. Every summer, the Gortani family undertake the Transumanza, walking their herd of cattle up old mountain tracks to this remote summit outpost where they can live and enjoy the fresh and ethereal mountain air. The cows graze happily on the fragrant grass of the high alpeggio, and the Gortanis milk them to make a range of mountain cheeses. My plan today is to position myself somewhere just below the Malga on my virtual imagined armchair journey to cheer on the cyclists, maybe somewhere around where the road rears to a leg-numbing 27% incline. That's one in three. There they will be going through their own private hell and moving slowly enough to look in their eyes and to see who still has hope or who has abandoned it. Us armchair cyclists like nothing more than to see someone else suffering, for we've all been there ourselves. It is far too high here for vineyards, so I'll take a bottle in my backpack to enjoy with a hunk of the Malga's fragrant mountain cheese. But what bottle? 
the vineyards on the foothills leading up to the high mountains, as well as on the plain and on the limestone plateau of the Carso, collectively make up one of Italy's most exciting wine regions, Friuli Venezia Giulia, source of both outstanding whites as well as great reds. I'm tempted to stash a bottle of Isonzo Cabernet in my backpack. In World War I, no less than 11 battles took place along the Isonzo, Italy's bloody front line against the Austrians. It would be an apt choice, for there are still many battles to come in this year's Giro d'Italia. Friuli suffered in World War II as well, and in centuries of skirmishes and battles before then. A sad history. Much as I enjoy and relish the combat on the road, I'm going to go with a wine that instead of conflict and competition, seeks harmony and brotherhood. Vino della Pace, from the Cantina Produttore di Cormons. When this CAV cooperative was formed after the war, the wine growers decided to commemorate peace by planting the Vigna del Mondo with vines brought in from every wine-growing continent on earth. Today, the Vigna del Mondo comprises more than 800 different grape varieties. Every year, they are harvested and vinified to make the Vino della Pace a bottle of which is sent to every civil and religious head of state in the world. It is a symbolic wine, certainly, but it is also a wine to drink, gently sweet, soft, not in the least aggressive or bellicose. Surely, even in the midst of a combative stage race, such as the Giro d'Italia, there is time to take a moment to enjoy this wine of peace, perhaps sampled with a slice of gubana, a snail-shaped pastry filled with nuts and candied fruit and raisins soaked in grappa. The Vino della Pace is a unique wine of human solidarity and brotherhood. In this year, more than ever, we all need to take a deep breath, drink deeply, and hold on to our hope. Stage 15 Grado to Gorizia, 147 kilometers. After yesterday's engagement on the high and mighty slopes of Monte Zoncolan, today's hostilities in the Giro d'Italia continue over the rolling hills and Alto Piano of Friuli Venezia Giulia and across the border into the Bainzitsa of neighboring Slovenia. During World War I, some of the fiercest and most intense fighting took place over the succession of steep limestone hills that rippled to the north of Gorizia and Nova Gorizia, the same hills over which today's combatants will fight it out for stage 15 honours. After World War II, the area was subject to a further territorial dispute between Italy and Yugoslavia that resulted in an arbitrary border being drawn that was shut with an iron curtain that divided families and communities. Three times a cyclist will go around a circuit that crosses that border in a Europe today that is truly sans frontières. Three times they will climb Slovenia's Gornier Cerovo, only two kilometers, but painfully steep, then endure a succession of challenging descents and sharp rises, passing through former battlefields that today, across both sides of the border, are covered in manicured vines. 
There were no vines on the slopes of Monte Zoncolan yesterday, and we couldn't see much of the alpine pastures that herdsmen and their cows so appreciate for their fresh and fragrant grasses that make such sweet milk and cheese. Snow still covered the high slopes, and it was foggy, misty, and miserable at the summit. Lorenzo Fortunato didn't allow either the thin, rarefied air or the cold, inhospitable conditions to dampen his spirits, though, as he spun powerfully up the steepest final section to claim a debut Giro stage win, both for himself and for the newly formed Iola Cometa cycling team. Yet another victory for an Italian. Jan Tratnik of Bahrain Victorious was happy to finish second. A Slovenian, he is also looking forward to today's stage that will take him into his home country. If he's not too exhausted from his exertions yesterday, I expect him to be on the attack again. What then of the others, the GC contenders? It looked for much of the final 14-kilometer climb that Monte Zoncolan itself would be the victor, that its challenging slopes were just too steep and long for anyone to contemplate an aggressive breakaway and risk blowing up on the highest and steepest slopes, losing their legs and the will to live, and so dropping back minutes or more. Only on the final, brutally steep section towards the finish did British rider Simon Yates finally make a move, steadily riding away from the bunch that had been led first by the Astana team and then by Ineos Grenadiers and the Maglia Rosa, Egon Bernal. Only Bernal could go with him. All the others were dropped. It was great to see Yates, who came into the race as one of the hot and informed favourites, at last show his class. But in the end, he could not match Bernal, who imperiously danced on his pedals to break away from Yates and gain further time on all his GC rivals. Stage 15 starts in Grado, an island town on an Adriatic lagoon. When, after the disintegration of the Roman Empire, marauders came over the Alps into Italy, first the Vandals, then the Goths and the Lombards, the people of these fertile lands had to take refuge to escape rape and pillage. Grado, a Roman island port on a lagoon in the Adriatic, became just such a place of safety, as also happened on the islands to the south within the Venetian lagoon, which is how Venice came to be created and settled. From Grado, stage 15 soon passes Aquileia, today a small town on the alluvial plain of the Natizone River. It's hard to imagine that this was once one of the largest and most beautiful of all Roman cities, with a population of over 100,000 due to its strategic location for roads leading to and from the eastern Mediterranean, Pannonia, and northern Europe. When Attila, scourge of God and king of the Huns, passed through in A.D. 452, he sacked the city and destroyed it so utterly that it was impossible afterwards even to recognize the original site. No battles will take place here today. Conflict will only be fully engaged once the riders have passed along the Isonzo and into the wine hills of Kolio and its Brada counterpart across the border in Slovenia. After the devastation that the region suffered in the aftermath of two world wars, a collective decision was taken to rebuild the Friuli Venezia Giulia wine country by concentrating on quality through the replantation of its most important native grapes notably for whites, Friulano, Ribola Gialla, Pinot Grigio, Vavazia Istriana, and for reds, Refosco del Peduncolo Rosso, 
Schioppettino and Pignolo, as well as through the introduction of international varieties such as Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, Cabernet Franc, Cabernet Sauvignon, and Merlot. Today, Friuli Venezia Giulia is without doubt one of Italy's most exciting wine regions, primarily for its robust, firm, and clean whites, but also for some outstanding reds. The three-time circuit today will thrice pass through Oslavia, a small wine commune virtually on the Slovenian border. Today there is no border and people can pass back and forth freely and unchallenged. Above the town stands a monument that is a reminder to the sad past, the Osario di Oslavia, constructed on Monte Calvario to house the mortal remains of some 57,000 Italian soldiers who perished during the numerous World War I battles of the Isonzo that took place over these peaceful lands. Today, the hills of Oslavia that were once a killing field are covered in vines, most notably Ribola Gialla, which finds a particularly propitious habitat here. My wine choice for today is Josko Gravner's iconic Amphora, a Ribola Gialla fermented in earthenware amphorae buried underground, a method of winemaking that dates back to antiquity and the origins of wine 8,000 years ago. The grapes are macerated on the skins for 30 days, so the result is an orange wine that has structure, tannin, and deeply rich and warm flavors. Amphora is a wine that reminds us all that for centuries and across millennia, wine has always remained a civilizing force for good, indeed, a cornerstone of our civilization itself, la civiltà del bere. The American novelist Ernest Hemingway, a great wine lover himself, was stationed on the Isonzo front during World War I, where he served as an ambulance driver, an experience that found its way into one of his most famous novels. For our warriors on two wheels, there will be no farewell to arms until exactly a week today, when the Giro will finally arrive on the streets of Milan. In the meantime, we continue to ride on, and to journey through Italy, wine glass in hand. Stage 16. Sacile to Cortina d'Ampezzo, 212 kilometers. Today is the day that many tifosi of the Giro d'Italia have all been waiting for. The tappone, the queen stage, the cima coppi. Without doubt, this is the hardest stage of an already grueling three-week grand tour that still has many more mountains to climb. Over a lengthy 212 kilometers, the riders will have to ascend an incredible 5,700 meters over four first category, the hardest, mountaintops, three of which soar to more than 2,000 meters above sea level. The Passo Ordoi is this year's Cima Coppi, awarded to the highest peak on each Giro, named after the legendary post-war Italian cycling hero, Fausto Coppi, who won the Giro d'Italia no less than five times and who was called Il Campionissimo, the champion of champions. Today will be a hellish stage, requiring superpowers just to get around it, let alone race to victory. It is a day to strike fear into the hearts and legs of every cyclist who will arrive at the start line this morning. For us lesser mortals who have experienced the suffering and agony that repeated climbs in high mountains brings, our legs are trembling in anticipation. 
Perhaps because of today, something of a truce was called in yesterday's stage through the battlefields of Friuli. A large group of breakaways was allowed to build up a substantial lead that could not be reeled back in, and in the end, Victor Campenarts, a workhorse domestique, usually in the service of others, was given the freedom to be able to ride to a stage victory. It was Team Kubeko Assos's third stage win in five days, an absolutely incredible achievement for Africa's first UCI World Tour team. Ubuntu, said Campenarts at the finish. I am, because we are, a Naguni Bantu term that signifies humanity towards others. The team's string of unexpected stage wins are all the more heartlifting because they ride in support of a South African charity that aims to help young people by supplying them with bicycles. Bicycles change lives is their motto. The peloton eventually rolled in some 17 minutes behind Campenarts and the other breakaways, a situation that Egon Bernal, the Malia Rosa, was more than happy with. It was a good day for us. We were in control, able to rest, and begin to think about the Queen stage, he said quietly at the finish. Starting in Sacile, an old and stylish Venetian town just inside Friuli, today's route passes through lands that were once part of the Republic of Venice's terra firma mainland. The difficulty begins almost from the start, with a testing first category climb up La Crozetta. It will be interesting to see if any of the teams attempt to attack early on to put pressure on the Maliarosa and Ineos Grenadiers, or whether breakaways will be allowed to escape once again. Certainly the Italians will be vying to take the considerable honour and prestige of cresting the Cima Coppi first, as well as those contenders for the Malia Azzurra, King of the Mountains. After La Crozetta come the trio of immense mountains that must be tackled and descended in succession. Passo Fedaia at 2,057 metres above sea level. Passo Pordoi at 2,239 and Passo Giao at 2,233. Then, a frightening fast, dangerous especially if the weather is wet, descent to the finish at the ski resort of Cortina d'Ampezzo. Last year, at the end of February 2020, we were cross-country skiing in Toblock, just over the other side of Cortina d'Ampezzo in the Sud Tirol, Italy's German-speaking autonomous region. We intended to ski up the mountain pass and down the other side into Cortina, but the trails on the Veneto side, exposed to more sun, were closed because of lack of snow. That all seems an absolute lifetime ago, for we were there at precisely the moment when a handful of small towns in Veneto and Lombardia were compelled to go into Europe's first lockdown over an obscure and novel type of virus that no one had ever heard of until then. Though we were concerned at what was happening so close to us, we were still able to enjoy a fabulous week in the high Dolomites, skiing through the most magnificent countryside under the dominating and distinctive peaks of the Tre Cime. In the evenings, we soothed our aching limbs in the spa, enjoyed feasts of Austrian-inspired foods with an Italian accent, and drank deeply from a list of sensational Sud Tirolese wines made from grapes such as Kerner, Traminer, Weissburgunder, Vernach, and Lagraine. Today's stage takes place 
just on the other side of those very same mountains, in Veneto, one of Italy's greatest wine regions, both in terms of quality as well as in volume produced. Mountain streams tumble down from the high mountains and feed into mighty rivers. Their rich alluvial soils are a propitious habitat for the vine, most notably on today's stage that crosses the Piave Valley. So, before the giant climbs start, I'm going to first make a detour to the vineyards of Asolo to snatch a bottle or two of a wine that I don't have the chance to sample often, Recantina. In 1809, Franco-Italian forces under Napoleon conquered these lands from the Austro-Hungarians. French rule was briefly imposed, and one consequence was that the local wine growers were compelled to grub up their native vines and replant with French grapes like Merlot, Cabernet Franc, and Cabernet Sauvignon, varieties that have indeed transplanted well and still thrive on the vineyards of Piave, Montello, and Asolo today. Some autochthonous varieties inevitably were lost. How many, no one can say. Ray Cantina is one that somehow managed to survive, but which had almost gone extinct after the damage and devastation of the last World War. Through the efforts of a handful of wine growers, it is now producing a high-quality red wine that deserves to be better known and sampled. I visit Oslo every few years and had brought a bottle from the Pat de Colmel winery back with me, and we had it just the other night with dinner. Intense, deep purple, Blackberries and plums on the nose, rich in acidity, high in tannin and alcohol, with a bitter finish. A wine with a certain savage character that I like very much. A bowl of paste fagioli, or a plate of duck ragu and polenta, the favoured staple here, and a glass or two of this Ray Cantina. These are foods. This is the wine to add fortitude to the legs and mind before a fearsome tapa like today's Queen stage even for those of us following from the comfort of our armchairs. Forza, avanti, e salute. Once again, here we go. Swirl, sniff, sip, sniff. While you drink, don't forget this tasting tip.